Oh, we love comeback stories, don't we? Uh, especially comeback stories when, when somebody is even publicly humiliated. Th- those may be the greatest comeback stories. They may be the most difficult of all stories to, to come back when, when you have just completely blown it and everybody knows it. When you dream a big dream and you fall flat on your face. Our nation has known that. In 1960, President Kennedy decided to set a, 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 a great goal. We're, we're in a, a fight with the Soviet Union for supremacy on every level, even in space. And so Kennedy says in 1960, by the end of this decade, we are going to put a man on the moon. People thought he was crazy because this was going to take this thing that we take for granted, a computer. And a a computer to have the information that's in your cell phone you're holding right now would take two large garages. And so we, we set out. It's not until 1967 or we're ready to start getting in that direction. And so we launched the Apollo 1. And you see a picture of Apollo 1 up here. And you can see that it burnt because it barely made it out of, off the ground. And three astronauts perished. And everybody begins to say, is this worth it to put a man on the moon? Why are we going to this expense and this effort? And yet our nation stayed true and, and we came back. And by the time we get to 1969, only 18 months later, there's Apollo 7. And this time it makes it all the way to the moon. And many of us can remember those grainy pictures when Neil Armstrong took those first steps on the moon. We came back from a terrible, terrible failure. Let me ask you this. Have you ever failed on a great endeavor? I mean, you had a great dream and you fell flat on your face. Most of us, the greatest dream we've had in our life, if we'd be honest, was to be a Christian. And think about what a crazy claim that is, that, that I think there's somehow I could be like Jesus. Hey, do you remember that moment you decided to follow Jesus? Man, you're walking out of that church and you're fired up out of your mind because you're going to do something great for him, but it doesn't take long for Satan to play in your life and you to fall flat on your face. The question is, can you have a comeback from that? So today, I want to look at one of the, the great comeback stories of one of the great failures. We're going to be looking in John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 is a really odd chapter because if you read the book of John, it doesn't really belong there. From all appearances, John finished his book at the end of chapter 20. And then he sort of throws in this addendum. It's like you ever go watch a movie, you know, and in the movie you decide to sit there and they, they roll all the credits. And then at the end they start telling what happened to those people later. That's what's happening in John. The credits have been rolled and now... There's some unfinished business. Jesus has got some unfinished business with this character we call Simon Peter. Because Simon Peter has failed, and he's failed greatly. He's been so bold. He's claimed Jesus, if they kill you, they got to kill me. And then when Jesus is on trial, he finds himself warming his hands around some hot coals. And people recognize him while Jesus is on trial. And he doesn't want to get too close because he doesn't want to die. But he, wants, he, does, he does love Jesus. And so he's warming himself. And three times someone identifies him as being a Jesus follower. And three times he denies that he even knows him. In fact, the third time he's so perplexed he curses. 
And the rooster crows, just like Jesus said. And he looks up, and Luke says, the first person he saw was Jesus. Can you imagine the look Jesus gave him? Can you imagine how Peter felt? Well, you don't have to imagine that one. The Bible tells you in the next verse, he wept and he wept bitterly. So this guy has blown it. And now we get to this amazing story. I just want to tell you from John 21. Great stories are meant to be told, not to be read. In John chapter 21, it appears that Peter's given up. He's gone back to his old profession. He's gone back to fishing. I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee. And it's been taking a long time. And Peter finally says to his friends, let's just go back fishing. And a bunch of them go with him. And they're back on the, the lake. They're back on the Sea of Galilee. And they're fishing. And you can predict this if you know the Bible. How, how many fish have they caught all night long? Zero. They never catch anything, all right? And so they're, they're fishing. And all of a sudden they look on shore. And there's someone standing there. They don't know who he is. And this figure on the shore says, have you caught anything yet? In the original language, it's like a double, triple negative. It's a very negative statement. It's as if Jesus were saying, in our vernacular, how's this working out for you? You gone back fishing, how's that going for you? Is it working? And when Jesus says this, they look up and Jesus says, let me tell you what to do. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do that, and their nets are bursting with fish. And they know it's Jesus. And John says, it's the Lord. And Peter immediately jumps in the water. Now, the the Bible says a weird thing here that I can't figure out. He he must have been not wearing much in the boat because it says he put his cloak on. Now, when we think about swimming, do you think about putting more on or less? Peter puts more on. It reminds me when I was a um, youth minister, my first job in Northport Church in Tuscaloosa, outside Tuscaloosa, and we had this rule about kids swimming together. We talked, in those days, we talked about mixed bathing. Isn't that weird? And um, so we had this rule. They could do it, but all the kids had to wear long blue jeans and T-shirts. Can you imagine? Now, every summer, we drowned a few kids but nobody lusted, okay? <laughs> so he hears Peter, and Peter is, is, is putting his clothes on and jumping in the water, and he swims to the shore, and there's Jesus. It's so cool here, guys. Jesus is cooking breakfast, and the Bible says there's hot coals. Only other time those words are used in the whole Bible is the hot coals Peter stood around when he denied Jesus three times. You think he's feeling it again? And he comes, and then the other guys get there, and, man, they're taking the fish in, and Jesus, I don't know, Jesus already had his own fish. He's already cooking them. He said, would you guys throw me a couple of your fish? And they counted their fish. I don't know why this number, but they counted 153 fish. That's sort of weird. A lot of people tried to put some significance to this. I've tried to research this. The best answer I can give is there was a Greek researcher that was well-known in the first century who had researched and decided there were 153 specific species of fish. So this may be God's subtle way of saying, we want to take everybody in. 
Well, they throw Jesus a couple more fish, and, and Jesus grills the fish, and then they sit around, and they eat breakfast. Jesus has not yet confronted Peter about his denial. You ever been in trouble, guys, over here with your parents, and you knew you were in trouble, and you knew the punishment was coming, and they, you sit down for supper, and they don't say a word? And, and, and it's, just, it's just misery, just some, let me have it, say something. Well, I think that's how Peter felt. He's just sitting there, and Jesus isn't saying anything until after supper, he decides to talk to Simon Peter. Now, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't get on his case. He simply starts asking him some questions. And it had to be the worst question possible. Jesus says to this guy who's failed so badly, do you love me? Man, if I'm Peter, that's the, I, mean, I would rather you jump on my case than ask me if I love you. In, in fact, the way Jesus phrases the question, he says, do you love me more than these? What, what, what are the these? Well, there's two choices. He might be saying, Peter, do you love me more than your old business of fishing? Do you love me more than these fish, or are you going to leave me and go back to fishing? More than likely, though, I think he's saying, do you love me more than these disciples? Because G Peter had made a bold claim when Jesus told them he was going to die. Peter said, I don't know what these other guys will do, but I'll tell you, Jesus, what I'll do. I will die with you. So Jesus says, really? And so Jesus says, Peter, do, do you love me? Now, you only catch this in the original language. Jesus says, do you love me? Agape, the highest form of love. And, and Peter responds with phileo. In, in other words, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I like you. Oh, my goodness. Come on, Peter. What's going on here? For, for once in Peter's life, and Peter will say to Jesus, you know all things. You know what a screw-up I am. You know how badly I've blown it. I'm not going to say too much this time. All I'm going to say is, I like you. And Jesus comes back a second time. And he says, Simon, come on, man. Do you love me? And Simon shakes his head and says, Lord, come on. You know I like you. And Jesus comes back a third time. This will kill you. Jesus comes back a third time, and Jesus changes his word. He comes down, and Jesus says, Simon, do you like me? And Simon says, yes, Lord, you know I like you. Is that not amazing? Jesus changed his word. He came down to Peter's level. What is Jesus saying to this guy who can only say now, I like you, is Peter, I know you blew it. I know you said too much. I know you keep your foot in your mouth. I know you speak before you think. But, but I'm telling you, buddy, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. And if all you can say right now is I like you, then I'm just going to take you right there. And then Jesus begins to tell Peter, what this is going to mean, because in every one of those questions, Jesus follows up by giving Peter a job to do. And then in verse, verse 18 of John 21, Jesus must say some pretty disturbing things to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, 
follow me. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to follow me all the way to the cross. This is such a great scene. Because listen to me, Galilee's about 70 miles from Jerusalem. They're back at the very exact spot where Jesus has first called Simon Peter. He's using the exact two words, it's instant replay, follow me. So now I want you to take notes. If you've got your outline, take it out, and there's pens in front of you. I want you to write some of these things. There's so many great lessons for us to learn And and these lessons are about failure because, guys, if there's anything common among all of us, it's failure. Failure is much more common than success. So what happens, what's our response when we fail? And and more importantly today, I want to talk about what's Jesus' response when you fail. First part, our part. When you fail, you'll believe that God is through with you. You ever felt that way? I mean, I had my chance and I blew it. That's the way Peter feels here. I mean, I had my chance to stand up for Jesus, to be there when he died. I wouldn't even admit that I know him. I mean, why would he ever want to see my face again? So you're going to feel like God's through with you. So many times in churches, we've acted like, you had your chance, man. You had your chance at that marriage. You had your chance at that job. You had that chance, and you, no, 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 Jesus says, no, no. You got another chance. Second point, you'll be tempted to go back to your old ways. You see, you see uh, when Peter thinks he's blown it, he goes back to the only thing he knows, which is fishing. And, and, and when you really blow it in life, then what's so normal, because you've got some, some ruts in your life you built years ago of, of old habits and old friends and old attitudes and an old mindset and you, you launched out and said, I want to be like Jesus. You fell flat on your face and you go, man, God, I don't want anything to do with me. I'll just go back to the way I was. I don't really like the way I was, but, you know, mm, I'll, I'll do it. Because that, that's why addictions are so powerful. Because addictions are those old patterns. I mean, it, it's crazy, isn't it, that we fall into those old patterns? But, but we do. That's why one of the greatest ministries in this church, let me just give an advertisement, is RSVP on Wednesday nights at 630. If you've got any kind of alcohol or drug or pill addiction, that addiction you fall back into to escape, then I'm telling you, they're helping dozens of people every Wednesday night. You could be a part of that, or your friend could be a part of that. One, one common addiction that so many of us fall back into is, is pornography. And let me go give another advertisement, something coming up a week from this Tuesday night. We're calling it Pancakes and the pornography problem. I want to call it pancakes and porn, but I was overruled. Pancakes and the pornography problem. And my brother Dick Thompson back here is going to cook some pancakes. And some of our brothers, Trey and Brian Richardson, are working on a program for that night. You say, well, well pornography is not a problem. That's never been my big problem. But I'll tell you what, I don't go a month without talking to somebody about pornography. It's a big problem. And that Tuesday night, Men, we're going to get together. You need to be there and, and come. And let's, let's just, and again, whether you've got the problem or you're going to know somebody. If you're a, a teenage parent, you need to bring your son with you. It's going to be a great night. Why? Because when we blow it and you, you, you feel terrible and you feel guilty, the easiest way to escape is in one of those old ways. And that's what Peter did. But then here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that you'll get the same results. You go back to your old ways, and you get the same results. And, and that's why Jesus says, come on, guys. 
is this really working for you? You really want to go back to your old lifestyle after you've experienced me? I remember a man standing on this stage probably a dozen years ago giving his testimony. He'd, he'd made a lot of mistakes in his life. And, he, and, and this is the way he illustrated. He said, I keep going down the same street over and over again. And then he said, it's a dead-end street. And yet I, I keep going down it. And many of us, my friends, are going back down the same dead-end street. And Jesus says, you really think this can work? You think it's going to be different? I mean, don't you know the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and think you're getting different results? But there's something about us, even though we know it doesn't work, even though we're miserable when we go back to that addiction, even though we're miserable when we fall back into our depression, even though we're miserable at church when we're just a lukewarm, pew-sitting member, even though it's miserable, somehow we go back to it. There, there's something about the security of sameness. Well, what's Jesus can do when you fail? Man, this is the good news. Write this down. When you fail, Jesus will not be surprised. You got that? He's not surprised. I mean, he's predicted to Peter his failure. I read this week about a a famous theological school, and they invited this famous theologian to talk to all their students. And he had given this great, deep, biblical speech, and then he ended the speech asking all the students a question. Here, Here was his question. What does Almighty God expect out of you? And they raised their hands and said, man, he expects me to be holy. He expects me to be godly. He expects me to disciple people. He expects me to be on a mission. And the guy said, you know, those answers are really good, but that's not the number one expectation. The number one expectation God has of you is that you will fail. And they were shocked. But you know what the Bible says? If anybody among us says they do not sin, they're a liar and the truth is not in them. My friends, God is not surprised by your failure. Number two, Jesus will show up. (laughs) This is such a cool chapter. Jesus shows up and serves these guys breakfast. And what I'm telling you is that when you've blown it big time, even publicly, he is not through with you. The crazy thing about the God that we serve is that he pursues you and me. You know, most gods known on the earth, they they sort of lay back, and man, if you want them, you come to them, man. You pursue them. You seek them. You try to be absorbed into them. Not our God. Our God says, "I, I know where you are, and I'm coming after you. And the moment you least expect it, I may be fixing your breakfast. You ever have a friend or maybe a spouse that you really did wrong? I mean, you hurt them, and you were wrong, and, and because of that, you're, you're hiding. Um, you're, you don't want to see them because you, you just don't know what to say about the failure you made. And yet one day they show up in front of you and, and they go, you know what, you really hurt me and I, I hate you did that. But, but I'm here to tell you I love you. And like, our, like Uncle Al said, I love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Man, that's what Jesus is doing with Simon Peter. He's showing up in his life when he's the most hurt. And here's the cool news. The next point, Jesus will take you as is. You know, that's why Jesus changes his word. He's willing to say to Peter, Peter, okay, if all you can give me right now is I like you, I take it. I understand how broken you are. And um, I want you to take you just the way you are. That's why we love 
the old hymn. We'll sing parts of it in a few moments. Just as I am without one plea. I don't have anything to stand on. I have completely failed. But you know what he wants? He just wants you as is. He didn't put Peter on probation. He didn't say, Peter, you know what? You can work your way back in, you know? You got some things to do. He says, I take you as you are. And in fact, the next point is, Jesus will give you a job to do. Jesus, after every one of, of Peter's statements, Jesus makes a different statement. He said, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. This is what I love about this. Jesus, the, the best thing, Peter, for you to do is to get out of this fishing boat and to come back to me and to get back doing what I have called you to do. Any of you that have suffered through depression, you know what you want to do? You, want to, you just want to cover your head up with your covers in the morning and just sleep all day. Or you want to, like I would want to do, I just want to get in my car and ride. But the very best thing you can do if you're depressed is to go do something. Go visit someone in the nursing home. Go see that person in the hospital. Call that friend you hadn't talked to in a long time. Reach out to somebody who needs you. Do something. And Jesus says to Peter, I'm not going to let you sit around and waller in your guilt. What I want you is to do something. In fact, our last point here is that Jesus will give you a do-over. I love this. He'll give you... How many of you, you have to raise your hand, how many of you need a do-over? Because the, the cool thing about our God is he specializes in them. And, and this is what's so significant to me. Like I said, I'm, at the same place Peter had first followed Jesus, they're back at Galilee. The same words that Jesus had used to call him, follow me. Peter, let, let, let's go back to the beginning and let's just start all over again. Forget about all this mess these last few days. Just follow me. And here is the amazing thing is that this man who denied he even knew Jesus followed Jesus faithfully even to a cross. The guy that wouldn't even admit that he knew him in his final moments is crucified for preaching Jesus. And history says this to us, that Peter made a special request. What was it? He requested to be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus. What has happened to this man? He's been changed. That professor who asked that question, what does God expect out of you? Part A was, he expects you to fail. Don't stop there. Part B of his answer was, and then he expects to pick you up and to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to change you. And that's what he'll do. When you come to him, he'll give you a do-over. So I want to ask you as we begin to close this morning, have you failed did you have some big dreams in your life, great ambitions? You were going to make a difference, and, and you failed. Maybe even you failed publicly. And because of that, you withdrawn. Maybe you had this crazy idea that you were going to be like Jesus, and you were going to treat people in your home and your office like Jesus, and you're far from that. And, and because of that, you've gone back to your old ways, old habits, old thought patterns, old attitudes. Maybe you even failed in church. I mean, you stepped out to serve in church and you failed. And you still come to church, but you're not really involved in church. And, and you're back just to your old 
old ways of just going through the, the motions. Can I ask all of you, if you're all back in your old ways, what Jesus says, how's this working for you? You really think you can go back to those old habits and old ways and it can turn out different? My friend, all you're going to do is run down a dead-end street. And so the one good thing we can say about Simon Peter is he kept on coming back. He may have fallen, but he came back, and he came back, and he came back. And this is just so crazy. Just a few days from this story, there's a man who gets up in the city of Jerusalem in front of possibly 100,000 people, and he preaches the good news of Jesus 3,000 are baptized on the spot. Who was that man? It was Simon Peter. I mean, come on, Jesus. Why would you pick him to preach the first sermon? After what he just did? I mean, come on, man. Let it, you know, you know why I picked Peter? Because nobody understood failure and grace better than Peter. And he's preaching in front of a, Thousands of people who just a few days earlier had screamed for Jesus' crucifixion. And now he's the one to say, you know what? Just by standing there, he took me back. He'll take you back. As we prepare to sing in just a moment, I'm telling you, you may have showed up here today because Jesus is here. And he wants to take you back. I don't care how badly you've blown it. I don't care how public it was or how embarrassed you are. Jesus is not concerned about that. He just wants you back because he loves you. You know, I've thought about this for years. Let's make a contrast. What is the difference in Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter? Not much, but a lot. Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord. Simon Peter denied the Lord. I don't see much difference. Judas Iscariot wept after he did it. Simon Peter wept after the denial. I still don't see any difference. What is the only difference? When Judas Iscariot blew it, he gave up. When Simon Peter blew it, he got up. And I'm telling you this morning, the difference in your life and my life in heaven and hell is do you give up or do you get up? The truth is we are all going to fail. The answer is do you get up and come back to Jesus or do you give up? And so this morning, you got an opportunity right now to get up. You can wallow in it. You can send yourself on a guilt trip. You can go back to your old ways. And you need to listen to Jesus. Is that working for you? Really? You think going back to that illicit relationship, you think going back to those drugs, you think going back to that negativity is going to work for you any better? No, no, no. It's a dead-end street. So what are you going to do, man? Make your mind up. I'm not going to give up. I am going to get up. And I'm coming back to Jesus. You see, Why does John throw this chapter after he already finished his book? Because you and I need to know that the comeback was not just about Jesus. It's about us. And you can have that comeback right now while we stand together and sing.